The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. How many of you guys love Christmas? You love all the angels we have heard on high and the cookies and the cocoa and the little manger scenes. Does Walmart have Christmas out yet? No, it's still Halloween, right? But it'll be, they already have it out? They don't? Hobby Lobby, it's been out. Like, am I new here? Yeah, I am. If you, if you love Christmas, you will hate this message today. Because we're going to see a different kind of Christmas today than you have ever heard. And I didn't make it up. I'm not doing anything here to be provocative. I'm just telling you, Revelation is this, this account where the word revelation means apocalypse, which means unveiling, which means to pull back the curtain and to show us things, what really happened in the world. Not what we just have imagined how it happened. Um, and... In Revelation, it's going to tell us over and over again, remind you of this, that it's not what happens next. It, it's what John sees next. It's like a, a window on your computer and the screen's there, but then you click on the different tabs. You click on this tab and that tab and that, and, there, and then things are sometimes in order, sometimes way out of order. We're going to see today, I'm going to read these verses for you, Revelation chapter 12. If you have a Bible or a device with Revelation, get it there. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles uh, underneath the chairs all around you. Revelation chapter 12, get a pen or pencil out. I'm going to have you mark up some things here a few times. It says, then I witnessed in heaven an event of, mark that, great significance. Not kind of all the things in Revelation are significant. He's going, this is the most important thing happening in Revelation. This monumental, great, significant event. I saw a woman clothed with the sun. And already you're going, oh, no duh, great significance. With the moon beneath her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and she cried out because of her labor pain and the agony of giving birth. And then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns. And already you know why it's a significant event. Seven heads and 10 horns with seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept away one third of the stars in the sky and he threw them to the earth. He stood in front of the woman as she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. She gave birth to a son who was to rule all nations with an iron rod. If you have your own Bible or even have one of ours in our pen or pencil there, in the margin there, put down the, the reference Psalm chapter 2. It's referring back to one of the most quoted Psalms uh, that's in the Old Testament that's now quoted over and over again in the New Testament, talking about the idea that someday a descendant of somebody in the nation of Israel is going to come and rule the nations with an iron rod, speaking prophetically when Jesus would come and not just rule that nation but ruled the nations of the world. Let's see, where was I? There it is. And her child was snatched away from the dragon and was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where God had prepared a place to care for her for 1,260 days. 
Then there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels, and the dragon lost the battle. Mark that. And he and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, mark the word deceiving there, was thrown down to the earth with all his angels. And we're going to stop right there because this is a... You'll you'll see the title of your uh, on the program there today on the note sheet is "Not So Silent Night." This is a wait Christmas. Um, We see four characters, four events in here. We see get give them to you in order. You can write them down, and then we're going to just go through them real quick. We see a woman, a dragon, a child, and a war. That's what Revelation twelve is all about: woman, dragon, child, war. This woman. Crazy imagery. When you first start reading this, you go, wait, she's, this is not a woman who, whose child in school made a Pinterest little sun gown for her mommy. This is a, she literally has the sun wrapped around her. And it says there's the, the moon and the stars. This is telling us something. It's telling us, for those of us who have gone to church or who are Jewish by our culture, ethnicity, would have known there. We've heard this before. Sun, moon, 12 stars. Back in Genesis 37, you can read about it. Joseph has a dream and he says, I dreamed there was the sun and the moon and then there were 12 stars and he was the star and all the other stars bowed to him. It's an allusion to the nation of Israel, to God's chosen people uh, and, and the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 sons of Jacob. And it says there, there's this woman and she's pregnant um, about to give birth. And so there's some sense this is also referring to not just the nation of Israel that birthed Jesus into the world, but of, in particular, Mary, who birthed Jesus into the world. So it's, it's got dual fulfillment here. It's, it's alluding to two things, the nation of Israel and then Mary herself who gave birth to this baby. At this point, she's just pregnant with the baby and there's a dragon there. And it says that the dragon swept one-third of the stars out of the sky. That's an allusion to what the scriptures will tell us in all kinds of places. I didn't pull the verses down. I'll just confuse you. This idea that before the age of humanity, before humans were even created, there were the angels of heaven and Lucifer was the star of the morning, the highest of all of God's created beings at that point. And Lucifer read a rebellion against God. And he convinced one-third of the angels to join him in the rebellion to overthrow God because he wanted to rule and be on the throne of heaven. It says one-third of them were swept out. And so it's an allusion to, again, apocalyptic literature does this. will present as symbols and things like that to, to show a dramatic picture of what happens here. It alludes to that when Satan had that rebellion against God. It says this dragon is red symbolizing blood and war. And then he has seven heads, 10 horns. Horns are always symbolic in the scriptures of strength, not just a, but it it, it symbolizes uh, the creature's strength. Uh, The head, the heads would be like the, the brain. It's not just got one brain. It's got seven of them. It's significant, oppressive, overwhelming power. And this dragon has a purpose, wants to devour the baby that's about to be born from that woman. Um, 
But we see the child now, and the child is born, and the dragon wants to devour it. This is where, again, we have our pictures of nativity scenes. So here's one. This is one you always think of, right? You look at that and go, oh. Now, if I had, my, if I had a baby that glowed, I'd probably have a problem, but we'd have to figure that out. But <laughs> that's one we tend to think of. What John is telling us, far more happened there that first Christmas than just, hmm, a little more like this. In fact, I was talking to somebody who said that they have friends that on their little nativity scene, they went and got a red dragon and put it on top of it, create some questions. And then there's some artistic renderings of this that are just <laughs> crazy bizarre. That's kind of a safish kind of cartoony kind of one. Then we got this one. Seven-headed dragon coming here to take the life of that baby. And then this is the worst one that I could find. Well, it's not the worst one I could find. Trust me, you didn't want to see the worst one I could find. But, but here we have this seven-headed dragon just bent on destroying this child. We're going to see... Well, 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 we'll get to that in a second. Uh, Christmas is not... I shouldn't say I've got to be careful here because I have some of you that have already done Pinterest and Hobby Lobby and already have beautiful Christmas stuff. I don't want to tell you that you're wrong in that. But we have to expand our understanding of Christmas. We've got a quote here from uh, Daryl Johnson and Eugene uh, Peterson. They're books that I referenced for you uh, in the little website that's there on our, on our website. You can link to it that has resources that I used here. Here's some things that they said about this. It says this, It is St. John's spirit-appointed task to supplement the work of St. Matthew and St. Luke so that the nativity cannot be sentimentalized into coziness nor domesticated into worldliness. This is not the nativity story we grew up with, but it is the nativity story all the same. Jesus' birth excites more than wonder. It excites evil. Our response to the nativity cannot be reduced to shutting the doors against a wintry world, drinking hot cocoa and singing carols. Rather, we are ready to walk out the door with high praises to God in our throats and two-edged swords in our hands. Satan does not want the child of Bethlehem to be the king. If he cannot kill the child, he at least wants to keep him in the manger. And if we keep him in the manger... There is no danger. It says they, they, this account here of this Mary gives birth and the child was caught away, uh, protected. We see the story of that when the angel comes and tells Joseph and Mary, go to Egypt, protected out in the desert for a period of time. Um, it goes on to tell us in verse 7, there was war in heaven, verse 7. It says the dragon lost the battle. His angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all his angels. That word thrown down there appears, I think, six or seven times right here. Talking about Satan was cast down, thrown down out of heaven. You know what the actual Greek words are that, that John uses here when he writes about it? He says, Satan got bounced. I just love that. Satan got bounced out of heaven uh, by, by what happened with Jesus' life, death, 
and resurrection and by the angels that bounced him out. And then it goes on to tell us that this great song breaks out. Look at verse 10. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens. It has come at last. Salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser, mark that in your Bibles, the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been bounced, thrown down to earth. The one who, mark that again, accuses them before our God day and night. And they have, not they will, this is not sometime enough in the future, right now they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Therefore, Rejoice, O heavens, and you who live in the heavens, rejoice. But terror will come on the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you in great danger, knowing that he has little time. When the dragon realized, I would mark that in my Bibles, he has little time. The dragon realized that he had been thrown down to the earth. He pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child, but she was given two wings like those of a great eagle, So she could fly to the place prepared for her in the wilderness. And then there she would be cared for and protected from the dragon for a time, times, and half a time. And in my Bible, I have a question mark written next to that. I have no idea what that means. Commentators do, and smart people have kind of surmised what it might mean. I have no idea. It's not the most important thing you're trying to figure out. What is time, times, times, times? That doesn't matter. Since then the dragon tried to drown the woman with the flood of water that flowed from his mouth. But the earth helped her by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that gushed out from the mouth of the dragon. This is an allusion to what uh, empires have been trying to do to the Jewish nation for thousands of years. This, this is satanic demonically. It's anti-Semitism comes out of the Satan hates the, that nation because they gave birth to the one that's going to crush his head and rule and reign forever. And he, doesn't want any, he wants to wipe them out. And World War II was an example of how the earth said, hey, we're not going to let that happen. The nations of the earth uh, prevented that from happening. And that's just one example. That's the nearest example we have in our lifetime. This has happened over and over again throughout history. And the dragon was angry at the woman and declared war against the rest of her children. All who keep God's commandments and maintain their testimony for Jesus. Then the dragon, this is the foreboding, uh uh-oh, took his stand on the shore beside the sea. And you got to read Revelation 13 next week because we're going to see how the dragon goes to war against you and me and against this world that he hates so much. And just a spoiler, next week, we're going to crack the code on the mark of the beast perfect weekend to do it, right? On Halloween weekend, the Mark of the Beast. Awesome. Talks about this war. Talks about this war that he's going to go to war. He, and and what he, what's, what's happening here is, I don't know if you guys feel like this, like me. I, I from time to time, think, okay, we sing these songs about Jesus has won the victory, that he conquered Satan, he conquered death, he, he, he's reigning and ruling over the universe now. Does it feel like that? Not at all, right? And John is explaining why, it, why it's still a jacked up mess down here. He's telling us this. He says the, the dragon, Satan, has been defeated, but he's not dead. In Genesis 3, it tells us that uh, a prophetic thing about when Adam and Eve sinned, he says, here's what's going to happen. 
There's one coming someday, and this Satan, this serpent, this dragon, he will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. There's a mortal wound that's been delivered to the enemy, but he's not dead yet. He's flailing around. We're going to see about that in the next chapter. That over and over again, this beast, you just can't kill it. You, it, you try to kill it, it keeps coming back. And he's flailing around, trying to do as much damage as he can, knowing that he's got limited time here. That his time is short. There's a day coming when final judgment is coming for this beast. And he's doing all he can to take as many of the people that God loves with him. And he goes to war. Uh, you ever felt like... You ever felt like this world's just shot to hell? You know why it feels like it's been shot to hell? Because it's been shot by hell. Things that are going on in this world are not just about the economy, not just about who does or doesn't get elected, not about propositions on the bow. They're not just about your ex or your mother-in-law or not about any of that stuff. What he's telling us is behind all of this, there is demonic, satanic work Going on, And for some of us, you're going to get a chance to this week. All of you should do the follow-up questions. We call it intersect. If you're in a small group, you'll do them for sure because that's what we're going to use for discussion in groups. But uh, even so, it's like we have different orientations towards Satan and demons. Because some of you that are newer at this are going, so you guys really believe in Satan and demons? You go, absolutely, we do. Now, we don't think they're running around with red pitchforks. And making everybody's heads twist around 17 times like all the Hollywood movies do. The Hollywood movies have so overestimated the power of the demonic. We'd all go freak out and go whatever. And with Jesus, we're like, ah, oh, Jesus, whatever. Completely missed the whole life. We should be a little more terrified of Jesus and less scared of Satan. That's a different deal. It's a different sermon, different time. But um, so the, the, the world's a mess. And there really is in the unseen realm. This is what he's pulling back for us to go. Look, Christmas was not little bit, little, the little Lord Jesus Asleep on the hay. No, that was Normandy. It was D-Day. The invasion launched on Christmas. And can you imagine telling somebody who was there on D-Day or somebody, our veterans here, well, wasn't that sweet? Wasn't that nice when you went there and had to land with bombs and people's arms and legs being blown off, people dying on the beaches of Normandy to save the world from this evil, tyrannical ruler? Let's just sing a beautiful song about that. You don't do that, right? Because an invasion happened. This is what happened on Christmas. It was not a not-so-silent night. And then we see here this enemy that has, is aligned against us uh, and is coming for us, knowing that his time is short. And we're going to take a bit of time today with what I have left with you now to take a look at the way that he works in our world so that we don't get surprised by the, by the enemy when he, when he pops his head up. And here's the deal. He usually does not come to us as a seven-headed dragon or like the crazy, bizarre movies that you see. Uh, let me show you how our, our enemy works. We see in Revelation 12, verse 9, it tells us he's the one deceiving the whole world. The first tactic our enemy has is deception. It tells us in John eight forty four. John 8, 44, put, put a reference, if you want it in your Bibles in Revelation there, just put a little John 8, 44, and go find John 8, 44. Jesus himself talking about Satan, his adversary, he says this, he talks about he was a murderer from the beginning. He's hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, 
It is consistent with his character for he is a liar and the father of lies. He, you know what that means? He's dang good at it. He's great at lying. He's, he makes, a, 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 Paul talks about it, Ephesians chapter four. He says, hey, be careful out there. You have stuff, stuff out there. He says, it's lies so clever, they sound like the truth. Anybody ever believe one of those lies? You probably have stuff in your storage containers or stuff in your closets of believing something that advertising, to, that's all advertising is doing to you, is lying to you. If you just had this, you'd be happy. You'd be fulfilled. It'd be awesome for you. And then there's other more sinister kinds of lives that says, okay, sin, mm, it's a problem, but it's not that big a deal. And we can kind of blunt the effect of sin and the consequences of sin and rebellion against God. Uh, One of the big lies that he tells us all the time, it's the one we see, you'll have a chance to explore these uh, in your small groups this week. And then even if you're not in a group, do the homework there. You're going to compare and contrast how Satan attacks Eve and Jesus and then compare and contrast how they respond to it. But the, you know what the first lie that Satan told? It wasn't even a lie. It was a question. Did, did God really say and this is the same lie he's been telling us now for thousands of years, over and over again. Really? About money, about sexuality, about forgiveness? Really? Because if he can get you to doubt what God says, and more importantly, just, oh, come on, God, doubt his character, he's got you. Satan's going to lie to you over and over and over again. We have to be wary of that. You're getting lied to consistently every day. But sometimes Satan doesn't just come with deception. Sometimes he weaponizes the truth. This is the second way he comes after us, with accusation and condemnation. Verse 10, it says he accuses our brothers and sisters. He's the one who accuses them before God. It's a sense of coming after us. And here's what his accusations will sometimes sound like to us. Really, pal? Really? You're ridiculous. What a joke you are. You look at you. And it sometimes won't be lies about your life. Sometimes you know what it's going to be? He's going to bring up your past to you. Things that you have done that are absolutely true. Divorce, abuse, addiction. Shoot, I didn't have time to do much sinning today before I got here. But yesterday, this condemnation thing was rolling around in my head because I thought like, man, the way I treated my wife yesterday, just being irritable with her because she had the nerve to want to go drive and just go find a fun restaurant to go to. Can you imagine what, what a terrible wife I have, right? That's ridiculous. I'm all irritable over that. And the words I muttered underneath my breath... I sat here and thought, I have no, I'm a joke. And then you'll hear the words sometimes too, especially when you have done the, there you go again. Like this is not just one time, like there I go again. The, the lie, the, 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 the accusation that will come, you must make God sick. Let me, and he'll weaponize the truth. Jesus died on the cross for you. 
and you behave like that, and it's accusation, condemnation, when you fall down, you know what he's trying to get you to do? Just stay down there. Don't get up. Just stay there. He's going to tell you things like, oh, you can't really do that. You can't really, I don't know, read the Bible, pray, share your faith. Those kinds of lies. It's, you just, you don't have that. You're never going to be able to overcome that habit, that sin, that tricky relationship. You're, in. It's, you're just going to, you're just stuck with it. It's just the way it's supposed to be. And then he's even weaponized little trite little sayings that I, some, I did I, I'm not even sure they're truths, but they're, they're at least half lies. You've heard these. I've seen bumper stickers, not on your cars, hopefully. Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. No, we're just sinners saved by grace. And you know what? That's absolutely true. But you know what that tells some of you what you've done is? Well, oh, well, I'm not perfect, just forgiven. So just I got to keep looking at porn, keep getting messing around with anger, keep blowing up at everybody because I'm not perfect, just forgiven. That is not the truth of what the, the enemy wants to go. He's going to weaponize the truth against you. He's better at using the Bible than you are. In fact, he, when he tempts Jesus, look at this. He quotes the Bible back to Jesus. So he's good at it. Accusation. Um, and then there's the, the third way. It's not the only ways he comes. But these are the three lead ones is destruction. It tells us in John eight forty four and John 10, 10, that our enemy's job is to steal and kill and destroy. And you know who he comes for first? When you watch cultures, you can study this historically. Satan will come after men and make a mess out of their lives. And you know who the biggest victims are? Women and children. Over and over and over and over again, you can study this throughout history. Women and children are always the biggest victims. Their lives get thrown into chaos and destruction because his goal is to just make a mess out of everything. And what his goal to do here in all this is deception and accusation and condemnation and destruction is to delay our obedience and falsify our witness. Remember why John wrote this, why John, Jesus gave this vision to John? It's to inspire our faithfulness in the midst of overwhelming persecution and temptation and trials. And if he can just get us to not disobey God, but just to go, mm, not right now. Not, not right now. I, I, you know, I, I'm still young and not right now. To delay our obedience and then falsify our witness. How we tend to respond. If you're like me, uh, hopefully you're not a lot like me, but you're some like me because you're a human being. Whenever we have stuff like this that happens, we will tend to either go to flight or fight. Flight or fight. And the fight, the the flight one is, oh, it's an evil world out there and it's scary out there and there's evil out there, so we should retreat. We should should make sure we never come in contact with evil because if we come in contact with evil, it's going to make a mess out of things. And so we will do things to seclude our kids from evil, seclude our world from evil. We want to make sure we only have Christian friends. We never go out there and roll. And so what happens is we don't want to have evil impact our world. And so by doing that, then we don't want to make any, any impact on the evil world. And so we'll retreat from that. That's a mistake. But that's not our biggest problem here, at least at this little kingdom outpost called Cross Point Church. Our biggest one is we want to go fight. I've seen, I know some of you. I've seen your social media pages. 
We want to dominate and destroy. We're going to, we're going to take on the enemy. We're going to vote. We're going to throw people out of office. We're going to go hurt some people if they don't believe the way we do or vote the way we do, all that kind of stuff. We want to dominate and destroy. It's the politics of power. It's let's get rid of that silly donkey that Jesus rode in in Jerusalem. The humble silly donkey. We want a big, huge horse and the lion and all, all that kind of stuff. And it's the idea of like the resurrection. Yeah, we love that. We love Jesus rise from the dead. The cross, really? We have to talk about that so much. Look at this quote here. It'll be up on the screen. It says, Jesus repudiates the accustomed means by which rule and power is normally exercised. He marches boldly in with news of a kingdom that's coming to take over, but he rejects Satan's offer of all the kingdoms of the world. He rebukes James and John for wanting to call down fire from heaven, orders Peter to put up his sword, reassures Pilate that the governor's job is in no danger, and just in case we missed it, arranged that his coronation as king would take place on a cross. See, what happens here when our reactions to evil in the world is we overestimate the power of the world and underestimate the power of grace. You should write that down. It's pretty good. We overestimate the power of the world and we underestimate the power of grace. And I'm telling you this because our biggest temptation, our biggest temptation with things like this, when we're in, in, in situations against a dragon that seems so overwhelming and threatening, you know what we do? We go to war against the dragon with the weapons and strategy of the dragon. You know what happens when, that, when we do that? We become the dragon. And the dragon goes, I'll let you win. I'll let you have that proposition. I'll let you elect those. I'll let you do all that kind of stuff. And all he does is go, scoreboard. I got some more people behaving like the dragon. And when that happens... He wins, even if great things happen, because our tactics were evil and terrible. He's, he's going to say, look, we don't go to war with the weapons of the dragon and the weapons of the beast. We'll talk a lot more about that next week. We go to war. He's going to tell us how we go to war, how we do this. But before we do this, one big, huge cautionary thing here. You'll see it. It says, beware on your note sheet there. Beware the satanic lullaby. We tend to look at Satan and dragons and evil out there and go, oh my gosh, it's attacking us. And we use words like spiritual warfare and the attacks of the enemy. And it's like this, all this persecution and these evil stuff coming against us. And I think I heard this guy a couple of years ago, listened to a podcast and he said, he's a guy from the Mideast that came and lived in America for a couple of years and went back to the, to the, to the Mideast. And he talked about it like he says, our biggest problem in the West, what I see here." He's not overt attacks of the enemy. It's just Satan going, shh, settle down. And he sings us a little satanic lullaby. And he gives us a binky and a blankie and a bottle with some juice in it with that little extra juice that parents put in there when their kids are, because here's what's going to happen. We had this happen yesterday here with our men. We had 40 or 50 men here yesterday for our, uh, our men's breakfast. And a guy talked to us about raising up some men that will go out there and take on in some gritty, grimy ways the issue of human trafficking, sex trafficking kind of stuff. And there's some men roused up in that. From time to time, you're going to hear a message from somebody here, a podcast, and your heart is getting moved to action. You're going to go, it's time to stop dinking around with this stupid sin. I'm going to get serious with it. It's time to quit making excuses for my anger or making excuses for my addiction or keep you do. It's time. I'm, I'm going to do something about that. And you know what's going to happen? Satan's not probably going to come and attack you. He's probably going to go, shh, 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 shh. here, 
He doesn't even care about making you bad. If he can just keep you asleep. It's not that big a deal. Settle down. You're okay. We're all good people. We're all God's children. Settle down. Beware that satanic lullaby. That's, I think, he's coming at us in the West. And guys, I am 60 and a half years old. I don't know how much time I have left on the planet, how much time I have left. I'm not, look, I'm not looking to go anywhere. I'm just not a veiled reference to I'm moving to anywhere else or anything like that. I'm just telling you here, we're, an out, we're not just a church. We're an outpost in the kingdom of God. We've been called to go out there and make some trouble. And the second men and women in a kingdom outpost get roused to action, be ready for Satan to go, shh, settle down. Just come on, go back. Or somebody else will do that. Somebody, somebody else. And then the accusation comes. Like, look at your past, dude. Look what you, what you did to abandon those kids. What you did to leave that marriage. What you did with the addiction. He's just going to come. He's going to just bring your stuff out to you. And you'll go, mm. let's go to war. Let's go to war. I'm going to show you how. In, in the scriptures, get, there's all kinds of verses and all kinds of strategies the scriptures use for us. We're not going to look at all of them today because that would be a whole, not another, it'd be a whole other message series to do all this. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 18 is one you ought to read and study about what it means to say, look, we're, we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. We're fighting, we have a war going on for our souls. Like if I told you today, When you walk out of here today, there's an enemy outside there and they've got knives and guns. The second you walk out that door, what would you do right now? You would drop ship some weapons from Amazon right now. You would figure out, we got to go take, we got to be, or we're at least going to be, or we're going to go out the back and avoid that. But you would just walk out and go, oh, you know, it's just spiritual warfare, whatever. Everybody takes a shot once in a while. No, you would go, we got to take, we got to do something about that. He's a call to action here. To make some trouble. And he's going to give us now in Revelation chapter 12. I'm going to put the verse up here on the screen so you can see it. And mark up your Bible right here with a 1, 2, and a 3. Revelation 12, 11 says, they have defeated. Not they will defeat. This is not coming someday when we go to heaven. This is right stinking now. They have defeated him by the blood of the Lamb, by their testimony... And they did not love their lives so much they were afraid to die. Let me give them to you fast here. We take on the enemy. Number one strategy is Christ's cross. The blood of the lamb. When accusation comes, when you have screwed up again, and by the end of today, 73% of you will screw up again. We know this by media polling. No, I don't have any idea how many will screw up again today. Some of you are going to screw up bad this week. And, And when that happens... What will tend to happen is we will start to think, I'm just a loser. I'm never going to get this thing right. And Christianity, the way of Jesus, is the only spirituality religion on the planet that says you do not stand before God on your own record and your own righteousness. It was the blood of a lamb, not your sacrifice. You do not 
Don't miss this, because some of you I know have different religious backgrounds. I've had conversations with different ones of you thinking that, okay, if I just do enough good stuff, I can sort of make atonement. If all my good outweighs my bad. No, no, no. You cannot make atonement for your sin. You, you will not ever be able to do enough good. If you were perfect the rest of your life, you'd be 8 billion miles behind to make atonement for sin. But you don't have to. The good news is the lamb, the lion of the tribe of Judah, died on the cross 2,000 years ago. And in your place, absorbed the judgment and the wrath of God for your sin. And again, I was talking to people again about this this week, that all faith is, is like, I just believe that counts for me today. That he paid the penalty for my sin. He cleared my record and I can walk before him with a clean record. And when I, when I walk up to heaven someday and the angels say, why should we let you in here? You don't trot out your resume. You don't trot out your resume. You go, you know what you say is? I've used this here before I think on Easter or something like that. The man on the middle cross said I could come. The one who died on the cross said I could come. That's, that's how I come here. So we come with Christ's cross and then it says... It's not just what we can just live however we want. It's our testimony. It's the idea of, of embodied doctrine, embodied truth. Is our testimony that when temptation and deception that are out there try to knock us down, we walk with integrity. And it's our, our truth is believed and it's lived. And you're going to be told by the world that you live in and by the system, the air that you breathe. Oh, come on. You just can't. You'll never overcome that. See, you did it again. You just can't. You just can't. You just can't. And the scriptures are going to tell us. In fact, there's some great verses over in Romans. We're at some day going to do a series on Romans. I'm not sure when. I never thought I'd do Revelation. And Romans is even behind Revelation. So we'll see. But um, in Romans chapter 7, there's sort of some famous verses there. If you've grown up in church, you've probably heard them. After Paul spent some time talking about how evil humanity is, and what Jesus has done to save us, in chapter 7, he says, I don't understand myself. I want to do what's right, but I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It's cat in the hat. It's Dr. Seuss, all this guy. I, he goes, and he says, what a miserable person I am. Who's going to free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? By my own sin and the stupid things I do all the time. Who's going to free me from that? And he says, thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ. And chapter 8 starts this way. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And he's going to go on to tell us in chapter 8, verse 11 or 12. He says, therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have, look at me, no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. You will have urges and compulsions. That's, that's not going away. You have no obligation for that anymore. You can walk in embodied truth. You can walk. And what that means is, I'm not perfect, but God's doing something here. And what Satan will come to you do to accuse you and deceive you is go, look at you. What a joke you are. You go, yeah. And he'll compare you with other people. The problem is you're comparing your everyday reel with their highlight reel, which is a big mistake. And what you do is you go point back and go, but I'm not where I'm supposed to be, but I'm not where I was. And I've seen the work of God transforming my Life And so when I screw up, when I mess up, all that kind of thing, when they're, when the, uh, I think I'll never be able to overcome that. Yes, you can. Yes, you will. The other stuff that comes with our testimony is that sometimes we feel like, oh, I just can't. This, a couple of them. I just, the Bible, I just can't read the Bible. I just, eh, I just can't do it. But you can read, right? 
And look, even if you can't read, because some of you I know have significant, a, significant problems with learning disability, get it? Man, you have no excuse anymore. In technology in 2022, it'll read it for you. You do nothing except there and just let it read into your mind. So you, could, you can read. And it's fascinating. Even people say, well, I just can't read the Bible. Yeah, but you can read all the stuff about the fantasy football league you're in and the betting line you have and all that kind of nonsense that you have. Yeah, I just can't pray, Steve. I, t- I tried to pray. I just, I just can't pray. Can you talk? Amen. You can talk, right? How about you just start with God going, God, I feel like a freaking ridiculous moron sitting here talking to you. I can't pray. I don't even know what to say here. How about you start there? You know what you just did? You just prayed. Because all praying is talking to God out loud. Um, And then the other one, we hear sometimes, I just can't share my faith. I can't share the gospel. We talked about this in our small group this week. We had a blast there talking about what it means to share your faith and and different excuses and things that kind of freak us out. We don't like, it makes us nervous and awkward and all that kind of stuff. And Rosie, who's sitting right over there somewhere on that side of the, she's in our small group, said, yeah, but you know what's weird for me? Is I have no problem talking about what I'm excited about. No problem. And so part of me, all the time, my prayer for you collectively as a church is that God would just not get you to behave better, but to get you excited about him. You get excited about Jesus and then behavior follows. And then telling people about Jesus. And then you can say, well, I just, I don't know. I just can't share my faith. You know what the first disciples did? The ones whose, whose names are the foundation stones of the forever eternal kingdom of God. You know how they shared their faith? At the beginning, they didn't know anything. They just said, hey, I met a dude. Come and see. Come and see. Come check it out. I have no answers for your questions. I have no idea about the doctrine of the Trinity or theology or the problem of pain or evil or super lapsarianism or whatever that kind of stuff. I have no idea. All I know is I met, I'm, just come and see what this is. And then you let God do the work in their hearts. And then our testimony. Some of you are going to hear that and think, well, man, if my testimony is going to be how we defeat Satan, we're dead. Because my testimony is a joke. You know what that means? It means all along this journey of discovering and following Jesus, from time to time, you're going to trip and stumble and fall. Sometimes you're going to run the thing off into the ditch. Some of you have unresolved issues and questions in your heart and soul today. You know what Jesus wants to tell you? Pick them all up. Pick all your failures up, all your mistakes up, all your questions and issues. Pick them all up and let's go. Let's go. I got more work to do here. Just come follow me. Because the journey of, of, of this is just, it's to be a disciple, it's to be a follower. And, and what, the, see, guys, I'm convinced that the world we live in is not looking for perfect people. It'd be people that would say, yeah, I jack up this thing all the time. But it's not about my record. It's about his. And he's changing me little by little by little as I walk with him day by day, step by step. It's our testimony. And then it says they did not love their lives so much they were afraid to die. The way I wrote this down in my my notes here, you'd be on the screen, is uncompromising commitment uncompromising commitment. Now, when it comes to our faith in Jesus, I have experienced this personally in my life. I've seen it in so many of your lives that I believe that when you make a decision to yield your life to Jesus Christ and say, yes, I believe that, you know what starts to happen? Your marriage gets better. Your finances get better. You do, you follow Jesus. Since he's the guy that designed the whole thing, things are gonna go better for you. And so I hope that's true for you. But, but here's the power of this kind of testimony. It says this, But even if it doesn't, I'm not going anywhere. 
Even the book of Job tells the story of Satan says, well, Job only follows you because you give him everything he wants. I go, anybody would follow that kind of God. And he takes everything from him. And at some point there in the book of Job, Job says, though he slay me, I'll trust him. And this is the idea that says, God, I want my life to go better. I want my life to be fantastic. But even if it doesn't, even if you take, you take my money, my job, my health, my marriage, my kids, my security, my identity. If you take, if you take even my life, if it comes down to that, we're not going anywhere. He said, and that is the, hmm, this is the power that completely decimated the Roman Empire. Because Rome, who was persecuting Christians, who was coming after Christians, slaughtering them, beheading them, throwing them the lions, and they saw these Christians just kept being faithful. They go, who would do that? Who would follow a God who doesn't rescue from them from all the troubles? Who lets them go through it and deal with all that? There is an authority to that that puts a heel on the throat of Satan and evil and says, no matter what you do, we're not going anywhere. And that'll change the world. The band's going to come up right now as I give you the last point. And the last point is this, guys. We got to fire back with our faith, not our feelings. Some of us are trying to live this Christian life by feelings. (laughs) And you're getting your rear end handed to you on the field, man, because you're just going based on how you feel every day. You can't. You got to go on faith, man. And faith says this. I do not stand in my own record. I stand in the record of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And my testimony isn't perfect, but over and over, little by little, from the inside out, he is changing me. And I pick up all my fail, failures and fears, all my questions and excuses, all of them. I'm going to keep following him. And no matter what, no matter what, despite how I feel today about God, despite how I feel today about my life, despite how I feel about anything today, I'm not going anywhere. Jesus, I'm going to follow you. That you do that. He said, that's how you don't defeat the enemy someday off in the distant future when we go to heaven someday, right here, right now. I'm going to give you a chance to come and receive communion today. There's uh, communion in the four corners of the room. It's bread and juice symbolizing the blood of the lamb, the lamb who was slaughtered for us. So you don't come to that table bringing anything. For a while, we thought about putting our offering buckets back there just to kind of expedite the service and just bring your offering there and bring your stuff there and then pick up communion there. We thought we don't do that because all of a sudden it says, well, you bring something and you get something. You bring nothing there. If you need prayer today for anything, our prayer team is the back of the house. You might have some stuff in your heart, your soul, and your life where it's accusation and condemnation. It's just been reeling around and around and around and around. And there, you just need to unpack some of that with somebody. Go back there, introduce yourself to them, let them pray for you. And then we're gonna, we're gonna sing. And one of the ways we go to war against the enemy, we see it over and over again in Revelation, over and over again. You know what happens when things get really bad and chaos and all hell's breaking loose? You know what they're in heaven? They're singing, and it's not a song of like, oh, no, there we go again. The sound of silence. No, it's a song of victory. Not that Jesus will win. Jesus has won. And so, Jesus, today, we love you, and we're just going to sing our hearts out right here, right now, and remember you.
Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.